0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Eye for the Light podcast, a Newton & Co uh, podcast where uh, we put questions to photographers to try and get under the skin and find out a bit more about them and their photography. Uh, Today I have the pleasure, I'm going to say, of skewering my co-host Chris with all the awkward questions that we normally put to other photographers uh, to see, uh, well, to see what makes him tick and, and, and his photography, uh, well, where his passion came from and, 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 and how it grew. Uh, so, Chris, uh, it is your turn today. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling great. Hello, everybody.
0: <laughs> you liar. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a podcast, uh, obviously audio only, which means you can't see Chris, but I can and he's squirming. Uh, he looks like he's gone a little red as well. Um, he's, uh, he's probably dreading this moment. Uh, but it'll be fun, Chris, don't I promise. Believe him.
1: Don't believe him, folks. I'm fine.
0: <laughs> so, Chris, you are, uh, well, you are the founder of Travel Photographer of the Year as an award, an international award. But you are, possibly what a lot of people don't realize, uh, a highly accomplished professional photographer in your own right. So uh at the risk of putting words in your mouth maybe give us a little potted history of how you got to to founding travel photographer year and, and what it was in your photography that led you down this path
1: well when i was a kid it might surprise people to know that i hated photography my father was a camera geek and my memories of photography when i was young Right through into my teens was having a camera pointed at me, which I hate to this day, and um, pictures, not very good pictures of family holidays and family events. And uh, because he was a geek, he collected cameras and he had a cupboard full of them. And before we went on holiday anywhere, we'd all be in the car ready to go, my my brother and sister and my mother. And we'd wait half an hour while my father went through his camera cupboard and decided which cameras he was going to bring. And it used to drive me nuts. And sadly, I never saw a good picture that he took. It was very much snapshot photography. And it was very much about the gear, which is why when I got into photography, I tended to go more for the creative aspects rather than the technical ones. When I was at uni, I got a visa to travel in the States, uh, working visa. So I went out and worked for about a month, and then travelled around on Greyhound bus. And this is where I have to thank my father because he gave me a little Olympus trip film camera to take with me, um, fixed lens. You no, know, it was just a very simple camera, point and shoot. Um, but I had the most amazing fun with it, and and I loved. I mean travel, I always loved, Uh, but getting into the photography while I was doing that, it kind of tapped into something in me, a creative side, because all through my education, I'd been very much on the sciences side. And although I like to do things like write and uh, paint, it was all very much self-taught and and in my spare time, not part of my educational life. So um, when I got back from that trip, I uh, decided to, well, I got ill, actually, I I, I got uh, something equivalent to ME, it was never properly diagnosed, but I had to take a year out of uni. And during that recovery period, I spent some time back at home and with access to the cameras, and I started playing around with them, got completely hooked, not on the gear, but on the taking of the pictures. And I went back to uni, and I'm the sort of person who can't sort of sit on the Sidelines and join in. I got very involved with the Photographic Society and ended up running it for two years while I was there. Um, and at the end of my degree, which is in physiology, completely different, as with you, David, to, to my future career, I promised myself when I graduated that I would do something with my photography within 10 years. And nine and a half years down the road, it was Christmas time. And I thought, right, it's now or never. So I decided that when I went back into work on the 6th of January, I'd go and tell my boss that I wanted to leave in six months time, which had been 10 years to the day. He'd taken an extra day's holiday and they called us all in and they said, we're gonna make some of you redundant. And they asked me to stay. And I said, Well, actually, if you let me go, you can keep this other person on. And they agreed. So I got paid Quite a substantial redundancy package to to leave on exactly the same day as I'd planned to go, without anything. So that kind of set me up with my first lot of camera gear and and a studio, come office to work in. And uh, that first six months is probably, or first year, certainly I earned the most I've ever earned in photography. Most of it was doing work for my former company, which was a big pharmaceutical company. Um, doing really boring stuff like conferences, but it got me traveling. And before I left there, I traveled a lot because my my the work I was doing was initially in Europe and then after that in Africa and the Middle East. So my photography kind of grew at six o'clock in the morning as I was going out to shoot the local market or the harbor or whatever before my meeting started at eight o'clock that day. Um, so I... I Took the jump. I decided that was where I was going to start my photography career.
0: Okay, and I mean, you were—you said you were very creative and and you were travelling at the time. But was it a conscious decision to merge travel and photography, or did you? What is it? I guess what is it about travel photography that is the appealing factor? Is that
1: is probably what I'm getting to? For me, it's accidental. Uh, i'm I'm just fascinated by other cultures. I'm fascinated by places, um, whether they be man-made or or natural. I do have a leaning towards the natural world. And um, <clears throat> it just seemed to it, it wasn't a conscious decision, it said it, it it just kind of happened. And um my portfolio, which I'd kind of started to put together while I was doing those early morning shoots um while I was doing the other job, was that exactly that type of imagery? It was it was people. It was some landscapes, a little bit of wildlife, and I took it along with me purely as an option when I went to the London Book Fair. And I'd gone there primarily to see if I could find a publisher for my poetry, but I met this amazing guy um, who, probably at the time, was in well into his seventies, and a. Um, had had a career in photographic publishing, and chatted with him, and he said, "I'm looking for someone to write a book on landscape photography. Can you do it? Are you interested?" And I said, "Yes, I'm interested, and of course I can do it, even though I didn't have a clue at the time. <laughs> Worked that bit out afterwards. So I <clears throat> pulled together some of the imagery I had, shot a whole load more new stuff, put the book together. Um, that was published, I think, in." 1990 something um but it was a very interesting step for my photography career because it being a technical book my ability as a uh, technical ability wasn't questioned from then on it was all about um whether i could shoot in the style that any particular client wanted um and i went to another conference and i can't actually remember the name of it but it was in it was in London, and it was travel orientated. And I tatted my portfolio around. I met lots of people who, as usual with those things, oh yes, yes, we'll be in touch, and you never hear from them again. But I met the guy who commissioned the little Berlitz guides. Um, I don't know if people be familiar with them anymore, but they were the, li- the Berlitz were the language com- company, and they produced a series of small format, um, little pocket guidebooks on different places, whether it be a town or a city or a country. Um, and he, he said, I'll be in touch, as all the other people had done. And two months later, he phoned me up and said, I'd like to commission you to, to shoot a guidebook of um, Tunisia and another one in Morocco. And this was just photography. So I got started, and I got stuff in publication. Um, and again, that kind of kick-started my career. So Tea Party started about 12 years later. Um, I been down in London taking this within the days of film so I was taking my portfolio around picture editors which was a fairly thankless task at the time you'd you'd wait ages to see them wouldn't get offered a cup of tea and spend less than two minutes with them and you never knew whether you were going to get commissioned or a result of it. which always makes me smile because you know nowadays photographers send off a, a web link or a social media link and expect <laughs> busy mature editors to get around to coming back to them. But that's another story. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so I was traveling back from London, having done this for the day, in the car and had the radio on. I'm not sure what channel it was, one of the BBC ones. And Simon Mayo was talking to a photographer and he asked him what he did. And the photographer said, um, I'm a travel photographer. And Simon May laughed and said, "Ah, oh, that's not a real thing. Anybody can be a travel photographer. You just buy a camera and go off and travel somewhere. And uh, after a long, tiring day, I was pretty incensed by that <laughs> response. And I thought, right, I'm going to do something now. I'm going to show you that travel photography is much more than that. So I had a few days to think about it, and then decided, right, I'm going to create a showcase for for the really good travel photography. I knew lots of photographers, many of whom were struggling to get their work published, because at that time, travel photography was very predictable. Um, It was people on family holidays, people on beaches and all that type of thing. Um, But I knew that travel photography actually required lots of, of different skills and ability to shoot lots of different subjects. So I decided to create a showcase that would reflect this. And the irony was that the the photographers I knew who were struggling to get stuff published were shooting the more experience-based travel imagery, you know, the the kind of adventures and um, the things that now the the tour operators are desperate to to show you so you feel included within the the actual product that they're trying to sell you. So I thought the best way to do it would be to create uh, a competition which would then allow pictures to be published either as book or exhibition. Um, This was pre-digital cameras remember Um, and the only travel photography competitions around then was one by Wanderlust um, and another one by the Daily Telegraph and the Wanderlust one was really designed to Get pictures for their magazine, and the Daily Telegraph was an occasional one, which again suited the publication. Um, so I decided to create something that was a bit broader than both of those. It would be open to kids, it would be open to both amateurs and professionals. There'd be no distinction between them. And um, so I contacted some of the companies that I work with, people like Fujifilm and Adobe. And I said to them, "I'm going to start this award for travel photography. Uh, I don't want any money from you. I just like some prizes. Will you support me?" And both of them did. And I'm very grateful to them. And uh, another smaller sponsor called Plastic Sandwich, who make uh, at that time make leather print portfolio cases. They now make cases for um, iPhones and and uh, smart tablets and things like that as well. So you can show your portfolio around. Um, but they were the, they were my supporters. So that was in probably uh, the November of 2002. And I launched the awards at uh, an exhibition called Focus on Imaging, which is was the forerunner of the photography show, different organizers, but the forerunner of it at the NEC in Birmingham. And uh, that was the start of the whole process. And that's where I showed the first pictures. Tea Party took off when we got our first winners. So up until that point, we were a small, unknown, independent organisation. Um, we didn't have a media partner, which we were told was a real weakness when we started. Actually turned out to be a strength because all the publishing houses now want to publish great photography and there's no preference to anyone. So they can all do it easily. And um from from there, we got our first winners, which was a photographer who's sadly no longer with us called Peter Adams. And the press just went mad for the pictures. They they during this time when we'd struggled to get publicity through the media, the photographic community had seized had, had really latched onto what we were doing. And we got entries from 34 countries in the first year, which was phenomenal. It's now 100 and, nearly 150 countries that en- that we get entries from. And uh, that was the start of it, really. And and because the first set of images were so strong, the media have identified with us and they come back to us every year. We don't have to do a great deal of going out to find new media that the, the competition itself is now huge. Um, the exhibitions are very, very well attended um, with visitors going into the millions over a, a few years and we managed to keep our exhibitions going during the and the and the awards going during the pandemic um in the having outdoor exhibitions in the brief periods when when everything was unlocked and we were allowed to exhibit so that's how we got to where we are now and okay so that's that's tea party
0: and and your genesis of the idea and and growth how about you as a photographer what do uh, you run the awards, but do you still shoot professionally? If so, what do you shoot? Uh, how, did, how did running an awards, which is undoubtedly a very time-consuming thing, fit in with being a professional photographer? And how do you kind of balance those now?
1: Well, when I started, I was very, very busy as a pro photographer. Um, I was traveling all the time. I've published about, well, not I've published, but publishers have published about 50 books with my pictures in um guidebooks, coffee table books, where I'm the the sole or, or predominant photographer. And my style in those days was very much sort of graphic and uh clean, very very clean kind of compositions. Um, photography itself came very naturally to me. Um, the technical side I had to learn. And I did it by trial and error first on film. And I've I've never stopped learning. I think that's a really important thing with photography, never stop learning. And uh, so my my photography career was really in a strong place. Once I started Teapotty and that started to take off, the demands of my time were increasing. And there came a point where I wasn't able to have the time to do very many commissions alongside what I was doing. So my photography very much took a back seat and um, whereas when I started Tea potty, I was a reasonably well-known photographer. I'm probably not now. Um, but that doesn't mean I stopped shooting. And um, in the last year, well, really from the point we locked down, my, my life was so busy and my demands on my time were so huge around a family as well um, that I had no time for photography. And then it all stopped. We weren't allowed to travel. We weren't allowed to even go out in many places. And I'm lucky to live in the country. So I stepped outside my gate, and I'm in open fields. And I started walking, which was really good for my health. And I uh, discovered all the local wildlife, which was just incredible, I was surrounded here by owls and deer, hares, foxes, all sorts, and, and just spending time out with my camera walking, not knowing what I'd find. Maybe I didn't find anything, but the whole experience was pleasurable. kind of refocused me on my photography. And I I've now started um, doing personal projects again. I've started um, traveling within the UK just purely to take pictures. And I feel like I'm alive again as a result. Um, I've Next year will be party's 20th year, and I think that's probably enough for me. So, if you know anyone who wants to run it, then I'm very happy to <laughs> pass it on. Um, but I need to do more of my own photography. And, and it's very interesting that my, when I looked back at my pictures and I thought, oh, I must redo my website, which I haven't updated for about 15 years. Um, I started looking at my pictures and, and I thought, because I've had my finger on the pulse with travel photography and I've been very involved with that world internationally. I could see how see the trends that were coming through and how it was changing and how it was progressing, and I looked at my pictures and I thought they're very much of a time, and it's not now, so I've started reshooting things and my whole approach to photography has changed. I'm now very much more interested in the feel of an image, the the mood, the what it conveys, um, rather than the subject. Um, my tendency when I'm doing stuff for myself would be towards doing landscapes and wildlife, and it's it's through those that I'm now trying to experiment with with my pictures and and with what I'm doing. And I've I've taken a number of pictures now that I haven't yet published, I haven't yet shown, which are taking my photography, I think, to in a different pl- direction and a, and to a better level. Obviously, other people will be the judge of that, not me, but it's very interesting it's emulating process and i'm doing it without the pressure of having to um you know make a huge living from it um i have have other income from from past photography and a little bit from teabody over the, the last two years <laughs> it's been very difficult to keep that going um with people not traveling in a, in a global pandemic but um i'm 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 at a stage of my life now where I'm doing my photography for me and anything that comes from it um, could be a bonus, really. I am um, I love teaching photography and I do that and that supports my my photography, uh, as you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's an exciting time from having had a real lull for the f- best part of 15 years.
0: You make a, an interesting point there. You talk about having your finger on the pulse of travel photography. Now, one of the things that you know photographers are always told is they should look at other photographers' work to see what's going on. You've obviously done that in far more detail than probably most other people have. Um, do you think it's a good thing or do you think it does impact your own style because you chase the styles that you see or the trends that you see?
1: I think one of the big mistakes people make is trying to copy other photographers. And that's okay as part of the learning process, but it's not your photography. You know, if you're, if you're copying, trying to work out how an image was taken and reproduce it so that you learn how the camera produced that and what the photographer was trying to achieve with it and how easy it, it is to do or not. Um, that's important, but it should never compromise your own vision of photography. Um, I, I I find this with with people who come on who enter the awards, but also people who come on workshops. They want to be like another photographer. They want to take the award-winning picture. Um, that's not necessarily them. I want to see a different vision and. It's, it's important to, to understand how you, that you see, you see an image different from the person next to you. I mean, that's something I still learn when I do workshops. I'm, there's always someone who looks at the world differently and sees things in a different way. And I go, oh, wow, that is amazing. I didn't see that. And I'm pretty observant. And I, and I, do, I do tend to see things that other people don't. But there's always someone who looks at the world differently. And that's really stimulating. And I would always encourage people not only to look at lots of contemporary photography, good and bad, but to look back at some of the masters of photography. Go back to the 1920s, look at photographers like Paul Strand, look at um, Stieglitz and and people like that, and um, all the photographers that have come in between there. um, Margaret Bork White, is one that comes to mind, Don McCullen, really, a lot of the, the great compositional photography comes much more from documentary and reportage areas. But then it's translated into the, the areas of art photography, fine art photography. Um, what I'm doing now with with mood and feel is is very much more towards the fine art areas. I don't know whether I'm good enough. I don't know whether my pictures will appeal to people, but I'm very much in the developmental stage with that, but I'm experimenting. And I'm getting stuff wrong, as I do it, and I'm getting stuff right. And, and um, that in itself is an interesting process. I mean, I don't think any photographer should ever be afraid, afraid to cock up an image. It doesn't matter. Um, You learn something from it. When I was first learning photography in my late teens, early 20s. I was shooting on film, you had to get it right. Otherwise, you didn't get a picture. And there were many times where I got it wrong and didn't get a picture. But I always learned from the mistakes I made. And, and that has stood me in good stead. Because as a photographer now, I don't have to think about the technical side. It's, it's now there. And I can really contra, con, concentrate on the creative side, as I think you've said, also, um, and it frees you up. It frees, you, you, People who are learning photography and go, oh, I, I don't really understand the camera, but I don't want to know. I'll just put it on auto. They're going to hit a glass ceiling. They're never going to get to the point where they might get a few lucky shots, but they won't get to the point where they consistently can produce images that are theirs and different and interesting. And I rarely shoot on the settings that the camera tells me. I, I'm always doing something different from it because my photography starts in my head it starts with visualizing an image and then working out how i translate that into using the camera and using the technology that's available whether it's film or digital into the end product that i want to see and i very much approach photography as get it right in camera if i get it right in camera i have to spend very little time on a computer and I'm very happy if I don't have to spend more than five minutes doing the basic manipulations. Um, to me, photography isn't on the camera. It's, it isn't on the computer. It's on the ca- in the camera. And I love the challenge of, of you know, understanding light, understanding exposure, understanding how it's interplaying and how I can manipulate that when I'm taking the picture.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that it's, uh, you know, this is where you and I are kind of kindred spirits because... It seems to be quite an unpopular view to say that photography doesn't happen on the computer because these days so much quote photography does seem to happen on a computer rather than in camera. Um, it's it's interesting to hear someone else holding a similar view uh, because you know I would I'd wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, just kind of coming back to teapotty, and I realise the question I'm about to ask you is potentially huge in fact it's probably a massive workshop or a degree course in its own right but <laughs> in in a in a in a nutshell as someone with many years of looking at competition entries what is it that you look for in an image that stands out to you
1: i look for an initial impact and then something that intrigues me enough to want to go back and have another look um, this used to be very interesting when we were looking at, uh, we, in the early days, we got print and transparency entries. And if the transparency entries on the, the light box, you know, you'd look and you you'd step away. And if you wanted to look again, there was something in there that made you really fascinated by that picture and engaged with that picture. And... Obviously, as the entries switch from that to, to mainly print entries, it's exactly that as well. Judging stuff on screen is harder. Um, and up until the pandemic hit, we've always done the final round of judging of teapotty on prints. And we've done that deliberately because over the years, I've seen many pictures that look great on screen and they look rubbish when they're printed and vice versa. And I remember years back, we had um, some very minimalist pictures of Greenland that were entered. And in the online judging, the initial rounds of it, so pre the final round, they were kind of not getting much recognition. Um, and I always go through all the entries after the judges are finished, just to make sure that nothing has been ruled out that really should be part of the final judging, even if it doesn't win. This particular set of in- images, when the prints came in, they were stunning absolutely stunning and they went on to win the category and it's it's a valuable lesson to learn that you know as as a competition that then exhibits the pictures what we see on a screen is because the way we view it is is a lot more transient um we're fed so many images nowadays they come and go and that's especially true of moving pictures which is why stills photography has a in my opinion a very different power to the moving image Um, but when you actually have time to sit and absorb a picture and revisit it that's that's what really engages there are lots of pictures that come in where you can see that it might be an interesting moment or interesting light but it's it's not really got the depth to engage your emotions um, and and intrigue you i think that's also important Um, whereas other pictures will just make you look and, oh, God, I want to go back in there. And I, I, I have a very good memory for, for images, so I can remember images even from the first couple of years that I can instantly go back to and tell you who the photographer was and maybe not where it's taken, but certainly to describe the picture to you. And that's because they had an impact on me, and that's what makes a great picture.
0: Interesting. I, uh, having been a picture editor um, in, a, in a picture library, Um, looking at transparencies on a light box. I distinctly remember there are some pictures that stand out and some that don't. And, you know, I would always, if I was selecting images to send out to a client from the library, I would, you know, lay out the 10 or 15 that I found that were potentially appropriate and step back. And there'd always be one that when you're looking at a small transparency on a light box, but you're standing four feet away from it, there's always one in there that's going to stand out more than the others, and if it stands out when it's that small at that kind of distance, there's something about it, and that would
1: always be the first image I would then send out. Um, a lot of that comes down to um, the photographer's skill at composition, and we, again, with digital cameras, we we kind of you know a little bit point and shoot, and we've all done it, and when I. When the, the uh, transition, the proper transition, came from film photography to digital photography, and it came over a few years, um, when the image quality was getting higher and higher and, and, and something approaching you know, exhibition quality, um, it was very interesting to see the work of even photographers that I knew well. They all took a step backwards. their their composition that the strength of their images wasn't as good while they mastered this technology and and that maybe was because they were focusing on what you know learning what the technology can do but it was it was very interesting and what a lot of people who pick up a camera don't understand um, is that the tiniest tiniest change in an image crop or reframing can make a huge difference to the way it impacts the viewer and it's a real skill. And it's something that that people aren't really taught, or not to the degree that they should do. We focus on learning how to use your digital camera. But learning how to compose a picture, and not just follow the rule of thirds, but actually let the picture dictate, the com- the elements of that picture dictate the way you frame it. And it may be a standard 3 by 2 format. It may be something completely different. So there's nothing wrong with cropping an image if the image itself is better in a different format. Um, but it's it's a fascinating skill and it's something that I really enjoy doing when I do my workshops, when we review people's pictures and showing them how a millimeter off here and there could can change, completely transform the impact that picture has on you.
0: I've I've always thought actually that transition, I know exactly what you mean about people taking a step backwards. Uh, I've always felt that maybe it wasn't so much they were learning the technology as there's just when you shoot film, you've got 36 shots, let's say, and it costs you money to do it. But with digital, you've bought the camera. It's just based on a memory card that you can delete. It's free. So people become a lot more lax. I'll, I'll just take more pictures. I'll take i I get there eventually, rather than maybe taking the time that they previously would have done with film.
1: Uh, We've all done it. I mean, you know, myself included. Gotcha. I'm as guilty as the next person. Yeah. And in um, January, I started a personal project. So then about seven miles from where I live, there's a country estate with a deer park. And I approached the owner and asked him if I could shoot it through the year not shoot the deer obviously but photograph them <laughs> and uh, he said yes and uh, so I've been going back there and I fitted it around everything else so it's been quite difficult because there's there's key points that I've missed in the in the year because I've been doing other stuff but I have got a very interesting record of, of this through now in November so through 11 months of the year and I started January the 1st I was really excited and went and wrecked and you know I didn't actually shoot much that day, but I went back the next day. And the camera comes out and it's ch- 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 loads of pictures. And I suddenly thought, this is stupid. Uh, why am I doing this? Th- this is not going to get me great photographs. I'm doing this over the course of year, of a year. And I might go, you know, four, five, six, seven times a month. I only need to get one or two pictures each time I go. I don't need a hundred. I'm not going to use them. It's just a massive editing job. So I slowed myself right down. And the moment I slowed myself down, the pictures started to improve. Mm. And it was really fascinating. And the, the the best shoot I think I had was a freezing cold day in a blizzard in February. And the place was like Narnia. It was just so beautiful. And I, I came away with three, four pictures. And I felt totally thrilled with what I'd done. I didn't didn't even really know whether the picture would work, but they had. And before I knew that, I was thrilled with it. And when I saw them afterwards, it was just a great feeling.
0: I think there's there's a bit of advice that I heard about travel photography a long time ago, which is a real double edged sword. One of them was you know as soon as you see something, take a picture of it. Like if you're traveling somewhere, because otherwise. Life is so transient, you may never come back to that point and therefore you might not get the opportunity again. The trouble is when you see something, you just go all guns blazing. You want to get all of it all at once. So you don't Mm -hmm. take the time to stop and consider what the best picture is. And I think that's the difference between good and great photographers is they more often than not stop to take the time
1: to consider what the best picture is. My my best pictures from that shoot I've just described were the ones I pre-visualized. I I worked out what I wanted to do. And then it was a case of, would the deer move in the right place? Am I in the right place when it does? And um, that slowing down, it just gave me, I mean, it, it gave me a thrill because I was actually experiencing the scene, which often you forget to do as a photographer. But it also just allowed me to be ready. I was ready for the moment. And it might not happen that day, it might happen the next, but it happened. And I think that's really, really important with your photography and very rewarding.
0: Interesting, very interesting. Uh, now, this has been quite a, an extended uh, podcast, I think. We've, uh, we've talked for a reasonable while. Um, and you probably thought you were going to get away without answering this question. But we do have one question we put to all photographers, so uh Chris, if you could go back to the younger you and give yourself advice what would what would that advice be
1: well i'd if I can remember back that far um I'd give myself multiple bits of advice um the first would be is be tenacious don't give up never um doesn't matter how challenging it is just keep going there are obviously points in anything you do where it's not going to work and you have to be realistic about that but I remember the days as I said earlier when I was going around London with my portfolio of pictures and it was so destroying you know you'd spend ages waiting to see someone who didn't give you very much time but that doesn't mean they didn't see the pictures they didn't understand it, but you have to keep doing that. And it's it's no good to young photographers just to send off their social media links and expect a busy picture editor to come back to them. They won't. So be be tenacious would be my first bit of advice. Um, I'd also uh, never forget that photography is fun. It's It's a great thing to do, it's creative. If it stops being fun you need to step away from it even if temporarily and observe because a lot of photography is about looking it's not about pressing the shutter that's that's the end point the, the camera is just a tool um and it's a tool to to realize your own vision of the world and how you translate it is the the skill that you have with that um piece of cap that piece of equipment I'd also um, suggest to people that they explore all sorts of different photography. Look at different stuff. Don't don't just think, oh, I'm a travel photographer or I'm a landscape photographer. I'm only going to look at landscapes. Look at other things. Go back in time and look at some of the great photographers and see the work they did. You you will be amazed. And you know that their the, their skills and their compositional skills in particular are just stunningly impressive. And you can learn some so much from that. And on the subject of learning, never stop. Never think you've made it. Never think, right, I'm a photographer now because there's always someone who can do it better than you. And there's always someone who has a new idea or a fresh approach or a different vision. Um, Something I think which you mentioned is, is don't be put off if people don't like your pictures because there's always someone who will. And don't stick yourself on on social media for for um validation of your ability as a photographer. Because most of the people who look on social media wouldn't know one end of a of a good picture from another. Um and uh so if you if you want some feedback on your work, and I, I would advise everybody to get that, is talk to someone you trust, listen to what they say and take the criticism on the chin and just go and um take your next picture with that knowledge and with your own heart.
0: I kind of feel like you were very prepared for that. (laughs) You had your answers lined up, but I actually, uh, I think you're right. It's all very valid advice that, you know, I think chimes in with with a lot of other photographers' experiences, uh, whether they understand
1: that or not. Um You're, so, you'll never know whether I was prepared, David, but as you've asked that question of every photographer, I did have a little think about it.
0: <laughs> you did, didn't you? You did, honestly. Um so uh okay, so you've started shooting more. Can people yep. see any of your more recent work anywhere?
1: There's a few bits of it um on the Eye for the Light website. I'm I'm doing a, a couple of series on there. So I'm I'm doing a series on on the uh, the deer park. Um, and also um, I have a camper van, which you know all about because I bought it off you um, and I've been off traveling. So I'm, I'm doing some travelogues, uh, but they're not about van life. They're about the pictures that I'm taking along the way. I'm just about to do another one on my recent trip up to Scotland, where I went to, to Skye and then across to the Isles of Harrison and uh, Lewis with the view of taking my time and taking pictures more in a fine art vein than a travel photography vein. So yes, they're coming, but there's no, um, as I said, I haven't updated my website for God knows how long. So that will be another project when I've just just a little bit more.
0: Okay. And if people want to learn more from you, this is a very leading
1: question. (laughs) Um, As I said, I do workshops. So I've got some, we'll be having some next year around the photography exhibition. Um, which will be April and May next year in London, um, and those will be short ones—one uh, day or or um, photo walks or a couple of hours um, sim- uh, seminars. I also uh, do longer workshops, some of which I do with other photographers, and uh, again those tend to be short. And then there's usually some photo trips as well, which are longer, up to about two weeks. So. Um, the leading part of your question was that we're planning some together and um we hope to get those off the ground in the spring next year and um my my website which has the workshops on is photo photoiconic.com and of course we'll be doing something together so we'll be putting those out through um the tea website as well on the, the tuition thing and then uh, next year i have a trip to namibia which is a 12-day workshop where we're photographing landscapes and night skies and wildlife and all sorts of things so uh again you can find the details of that on the on the tea party website and we'll keep you posted about the the workshops which david and i are planning to do
0: indeed there we go look at that beautifully segued in <laughs> <laughs> well chris it's been uh it's been enlightening actually i you know, I, I knew snippets of, of some of those stories, obviously having known you for a while and, and heard you talk about various aspects of it. But to hear it all put together is actually, it's it's very interesting to find out your background and hear your thoughts on photography, particularly given your history with with the competition as well. Someone who probably knows, knows photography better than many others uh, around right now. So thank you very much for uh, being the uh the subject for today uh and i hope everyone found it interesting uh, so do i uh, yeah well <laughs> they can let us know can't they um yeah. yeah well we'll know when we when we see the uh the stats of how many people listened
1: um, <laughs> yeah i said like, as i said i don't i don't go for validation on social media <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's convenient isn't it anyway uh, thank you very much uh, for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us, uh, and we will see you. Well, we won't see you. You will hear us, which sounds awkward, but you will you will hear us uh, on the next podcast uh, coming soon.
1: Absolutely, and thank you, David.
0: Yeah, pleasure.